This is the Venturing Angler Podcast. I'm Tim Harden. In this episode, we'll talk with Colorado guide Dwayne Redford about fly fishing, a number of different spots in Colorado, all not too far from Denver. Let's chat with Dwayne. So we're in Denver, Colorado at the Fly Fishing Show with Dwayne Redford, uh, author and fly fishing guide um, from Colorado. Welcome, Dwayne. Thank you. So you guide um, in, uh, on a number of rivers. Uh, where do you guide? I guide predominantly, about 85% of my trips are on the Eagle River west of Vail um, by the little town of Minturn. And the Eagle River is about 70 miles of freestone that starts in Camp Hale or above Camp Hale and trickles down to gypsum. I also spend a little time on the South Platte. And so the Eagle in that area, Minturn, Minturn's, I think, just past Vail, about an hour and a half west of, Den- uh, of, of Denver. Exactly. Um, just off I-70. So it's pretty accessible. Very accessible. Um, but it's also that sort of iconic big mountain Colorado that I think people think about when they think about Colorado who aren't too familiar. Um, and so the Eagle... Um, is uh, it's a great river for both wading and float trips, if I'm not mistaken. You're right. I mean, there are certain times of the year where you could float it. Okay. Um, I get a kick out of watching people come down in their rafts because I'm mainly a wade guide. Right. And it looks at times like a pinball game. I mean, it's <laughs> you. I mean, they're bouncing off rocks, and you hear right, left, sit down, stand up, right, left, oop, land that. <laughs> so um, there are times when it's not necessarily floatable uh, but at Minturn Anglers what we'll do in that case is we'll go fish the Colorado. Okay. And so you mostly do wade trips on the Eagle? Yes. Um, so I'm, I'm familiar with those rivers, the Eagle, the Colorado, the um, uh, Gore Creek and the South Platte. They're all radically different, um, I think. Uh, how would you describe the Eagle um, just as far as its characteristics as a Colorado River? You know, the Eagle River is its own entity. It's a, it's a gorgeous river. It's fairly gradient, so it, it drops fast. I mean, we're, we're going from about 11,000 feet down to about, oh, five and a half thousand feet oh, wow. all the way down to gypsum. So it, it's a fast rolling river. It's got huge rocks the size of Volkswagens in some places. So you have to learn to fish what I call bathtubs. Hmm. You know, you've got big rock, and then you have... Um, a little opening area and then another big rock and those fish like to sit down right in between all those rocks as you know fish do right so you have to learn how to fish specifically different for the eagle river a lot of shelves a lot of long glides a lot of dry fly action it's a it's a actually it's a great river that's great and um you, you mentioned the dries are there any specific hatches or events that take place over the course of the year that sure Sure. I mean, we'll start off in in March uh, with some blue wings, about a size 18 blue wing, and then um, the caddis come along in April, and you'll have your different stoneflies. We've got a little little black stonefly coming off now, and a midge coming off now, which is winter time, and then you move into your PMDs and your golden stones, and then you know your trichos. I mean, it's it's pretty predictable and there are some phenomenal hatches on that river i mean blanket hatches 
that's that are great. just a blast. Is there a time of year that you like the eagle, especially more than others? There is. I love the eagle in April, and I love the eagle even more in October, just because it's gorgeous down there. Right. And they both fish about the same. Okay. Um, it, I didn't realize that gypsum gets down to 5,000. Yeah, it's pretty close. That's like 5,500, 5,600, so it's pretty low. And, and that's about where, maybe I'm completely wrong on this, but that's where the Eagle meets the Colorado River? Yep, just below just below that. Yep. Okay. And, and the Colorado is its own beast, as you can imagine, I'm sure, um, to the listener, but... Uh, Colorado is really where, you, where you're doing float trips more than anything else. Yes. Uh, through the shop, we do predominantly all our float trips on the Colorado. And we, that's about an hour from the shop. Okay. Uh, it's an hour west heading downstream. Right, right. It, is the Colorado accessible to, to wading anglers? It is. Uh, it's not unusual for me to take a trip over there and wade it. Uh, I love wading the whole uh, radium area. So, yes. And... The Colorado, there's a massive fish in there that like big streamers. It's, it's, especially compared to the South Platte, that's a completely different beast too. Right, right. I mean, there's, you're, you're looking at big water, bigger fish, the whole nine yards. Now, not, that's not to say the South Platte doesn't have big fish. Right. Um, but you have more opportunistically feeding fish in the Colorado. It's interesting, uh, a couple years ago, I had just finished fishing it, and uh, the Division of Wildlife went in and did some shocking, and they shocked up a brown trout that was in the 18, 20-pound range. No kidding. The same place we'd been fishing. So they're in there. There's wow. some beasts. Um, so for, for those planning a trip to the Colorado, um, what, where are some good areas of the river? Um, what are some spots that would be accessible to, to wading anglers? And, and then... I, I, I've floated parts of the Colorado, but some of those float trips are absolutely stunning. What are some of those that you might recommend? You know, you've got the section around Partial and Kremling that, that offers some very good wading opportunities. That's where most of the folks that, that really are into wading go. Right. Um, like I said, I like to wade around Pump House and Radium area. Uh, it's a little bit more difficult. That's bigger water. You have to kind of know what you're doing. You you have to know where the fish are going to hold around the islands and the braids and so forth. So it's a little more difficult there. So my suggestion, if you're going to wade it, would be to go to the partial Kremlin area. The breeze units is what they're called. And the Colorado itself covers, I mean, obviously covers a pretty substantial range because it goes across the west. But its headwaters are at Rocky Mountain National Park, which is not too far from Denver either. And then um, you're mentioning those floats like Kremlin. That's... Um, from Denver, you head west on I-70, um, Highway 9, right along the Blue River, sort of cuts north, and it's kind of up towards the steamboat area. Yes, you can get you can get there that way, or you can go over Berthoud Pass and drop down through Granby and uh, get into it that direction as well. So there's, there's more than one way to get there, depending on where you want to go. And, and then the South Platte, where do you got along the South Platte? Anywhere from, I, I guide the Denver Water um, properties from Deckers all the way down to the confluence where the South Platte meets the North Fork of the South Platte before it drops down through Waterton Canyon there. Uh, the South Platte is a great year-long fishery. Um, just this time last year, I was down in 
uh, fishing that area is negative 20. So I got there and I, <laughs> I had the river to myself until it like really warmed up to like the 20s or 30s. Right. Uh, but it's it can be that cold and then fish pretty well. Um, it's I think uh, your area is pretty close to dams, and so it's got a good healthy water temperature pretty much throughout the year pretty much pretty much unless it gets low i guess and hot in the summer but right um do you have a favorite time of the year to fish you know when you're talking to tailwaters they're they're so consistent uh, as compared to freestones that i like pretty much any time of the year to fish a, a good solid tailwater you know the thing about that i used to always tell my clients or i still tell my clients about the south platte is if it's going to be 40 in denver It'll be 40 in Deckers. Yeah. But it might start at minus 20. Right. And it'll get there. And so this time of the year, you want, you're going you're gonna to run into temperatures in the high 30s, water temperatures. Uh, and they'll cruise up to about 42, 43 degrees. And maybe I'm completely wrong on this, but at least in my experience of fishing that area, the flies you're going to go with are going to be pretty small. Typically this time of the year, especially this time of the year, I mean, you're going to be running lighter tippets, smaller flies, um, doing predominantly uh, sight fishing. Right. You know, just walking with clients along the bank, spotting fish, trying to sneak in, get good, clean drifts. Are there any flies in particular that you like as um, year-long flies uh, on the South Platte, or are there any hatches that you get excited about throughout the year either? Sure. I mean, the, one of the flies I typically always have in a nymph rig on the South Platte is a San Juan worm, just yeah. a regular San Juan worm. Then I usually drop off to a black soft tackle about a size 18 because that covers a couple different emergers and pupas. And then uh, the final bug is typically uh, the butt crack betis. It's a bug I've designed. It's hmm. with Montana Fly Company. Uh, those are the three I usually run, unless I'm running um, what I call the mini rig, which is a dry double dropper. Then I'll have a a big chubby Chernobyl, and then drop down to a soft tackle, and then drop down again to the butt crack betas. So I'm pretty predictable. I'm probably more predictable than the fish. <laughs> <laughs> I told someone the other day that I think I have more rods than different flies in my fly boxes. Well, that's refreshing. <laughs> that's absolutely refreshing. I, I'm glad to hear that because some people I, I tell it to, they look at me like they're repulsed. But this is yeah. You know, I, I carry about five boxes at all times, but. Um, I, um, I honestly fish eight to nine patterns a year. And what about hatches throughout the year? Are there any hatches that stand out on the South Platte? You can, you can actually follow a hatch chart for the South Platte, historically, seasonally, and conditionally. I mean, you can, you can see when there's going to be different bugs coming off. Uh, that being said, so let's, let's talk about, you know, pick a month, let's say April. You know you're going to have caddis come off, historically seasonally on the South Platte, you really don't know when it's going to start and when it's going to stop. Uh, but there are notable hatches. I mean, you have your blue wings, you have your, your midges, you still have your, your small stones. Yeah, there, there are definitely notable hatches. They're just not as prolific, I find, as on the Eagle River, whereas we'll have blanket hatches there. On the South Platte, you'll have a quick hatch. You've got... it. You've got minimal time to switch everything out and go to a dry fly. So basically, you know, in that situation, I'm going to run the emerger or pupa more than anything else as opposed to just going straight dry fly, although you can have some great action. 
on the South Platte Dry Fly. Actually, as you mentioned, that I, one of my best days ever was on the South Platte, and it got a little breezy, and hoppers were moving around, and mm-hmm. with the dropper below that, it was just yeah, unbelievable. You know, and I think on the South Platte, because of the the high pressure and the the selective feeding fish, uh, that is a really good way to to keep fishing without spooking fish. Is run a big dry fly up top and then drop below it, as opposed to the, um, having the fish see an indicator of sorts because they see that in a lot of cases, especially like this time of the year, they're they're moving away fast because mm-hmm. the water's so gin clear and low. So I like to run a big dry fly up top because I find that it doesn't really spook them. You can slap it, you can skate it, you can move it, and they're used to seeing that. I had the pleasure last year of reading a book um, that I thought was a great contribution to um, uh to the, to the world of fly fishing publications. And I don't say that very often because um, it seems often like the same books keep coming out <laughs> over and over again. And I think you departed from that in a good way. Uh, the Fly Fisher's Playbook. Uh, tell us about that. You know, the Fly Fisher's Playbook, and thank you, by the way, the Fly Fisher's Playbook was born of guiding on the highly pressured South Platte. And I... I take notes and I keep a journal religiously. And I started to see, not correlations as much, but trends. And so after a while, I, looked, I started looking at all my journals and I realized, my goodness, I can put this all together. There's a book in here. Wow. And that's how it was born. And then with my kind of laid back uh, Western vernacular, I just kind of went conversational with it as opposed to textbook and that that was my whole goal is to just it was like I wanted someone when they're reading it to feel like they're sitting next to me on the river you know that's a great approach um, not everyone learns from textbooks everyone learns from conversations I think and oh, that's so a great point I, I think it makes it far more accessible and so you have another new book coming out now too uh, tell us about that one uh, it's called Hidden in Plain View and it hit the shelves uh, November 20th and it's been very re- well received. And basically what I talk about in this book, and it's the same conversational type book, but I augment all my information with about 400 guide hours worth of statistics. Everything from where we're catching the fish, what we're catching the fish on. Uh, and, and then I take it from there and I talk about recognizing what's obvious and exploiting what's obscure in fly fishing. So where I talk about bathtubs and sinks and sleeper seams and all that. That's, it's, it's designed to take the anglers to the next level. One thing I've noticed about all these destinations um, is their proximity to the Denver metro area. So um, the Eagle, the Colorado, uh, for the most part, um, the South Platte, they're all very accessible to people visiting Denver or who need a quick, who want to plan an easy, easier to plan trip. Um, so they're all fairly close, and they're all pretty easy to get to. Exactly. I mean, you can broaden that by saying the Poudre River up in Fort Collins is, what, an hour and a half away. The Big Thompson in Loveland is an hour and some change away. Then you've got the Dream Stream, uh, 11 Mile. So we have a lot of water. We're very fortunate to have all this fishable water in this state. And it's really, Denver is is really not that far away uh, from all those destinations. And there's easy highway access. And so I think with that, 
anglers should have um, in mind your typical trout setup. A nine foot five weight's a pretty good bet for. Yeah, that's a good bet. That's a good start. I mean, if you're if you're into nymphin, um, a minimum nine foot. I like a ten foot uh, nymph rod, like a ten four, uh, but a nine five works just fine. And plan on seven and a half to nine foot liters. Um, down to probably four to five x and then i like monofilament leaders and uh, i like folks to run fluorocarbon tippets that's just how i i roll it and if they're on the south flat especially during the winter they might be even going down to six x yes yeah you can drop down to six x with your leader and then drop six between your your flies with with your tippet certainly um so i think it you know, it's pretty clear that this, these waters are very, very accessible. and uh... Yeah, they're accessible and they're diverse, and that's what's beauty, the beautiful thing about this state. And we have a lot of good still water, too. I mean, we've got 11 Mile Reservoir, Antero, Spinney. Those are really good still waters for, for those that want to come in and fish some of our still waters. Terrific. And, yeah, I think something else that speaks to the diversity is, uh, especially if you compare, like, the South Platte to the Eagle and the Colorado, it's, it looks different physically as well. The mountain landscape is a little bit different. Oh, um, yeah. And, and there's different animals. Um, oh, passing yeah. Through. Yeah, I mean, you're going to, just to go from the South Platte to the Eagle, for example, I mean, you're going to drive up over one or two beautiful passes. And, you get, you know, you have a chance to see everything from moose to mountain goats and, and bighorn sheep. So it's fantastic. You know, the rivers all have basically the same characteristics. You know, they've got shelves, bars, eddies, tailouts, glides. I mean, that's that's pretty much consistent, except the Eagle is a step bigger than the South Platte, and the Colorado's is a step bigger than that. But, you know, once you, once you learn to harness the the intimidation from bigger water, it's they fish, they both fish just like small water if you just break it down properly. And if somebody has three days, they can have three completely different experiences. Oh, man, yeah. You know, I have clients that come in from out of state, and, and I'll always recommend that they stay somewhere near the Blue River, Frisco, Dillon, Breckenridge. That way, it's kind of like our little home area, and we'll go fish the Dream Stream, we'll fish the Blue, uh, and then we'll fish the Eagle or the Colorado, and we'll, we'll make three days really stretch and have a blast and see a lot of the state. That's terrific. Uh, well, thank you so much. Uh, for those who want to uh, see, learn more about uh, you and, and your books, uh, where can they go? Uh, certainly go to DwayneRedford.com, and that's a, that's a blog site, and it's got several tabs in there to tell you a little bit about my books and my speaking schedule and, and a, lot of, a lot of different information. So definitely go there and um, follow me on Instagram at Playbook. Other than that, Fear no water. (laughs) Terrific. Thank you so much. You bet, Tim. Thank you.